Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 155, top 10 podcasting highlights from 2013. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. We are just closing out the year 2013, and I've got for you 10 podcasting highlights from this year. I would say these are the top 10 things that have happened in the industry and even if you're listening to this years from 2013, or whenever you're listening, these are things that you can look back on as potentially historic moments for podcasting and things that have happened in the podcasting space that really change the way the game works or take podcasting, I have to say it, to a new level. <laughs> there, I said it. Okay, that won't happen again in this episode, I promise. But before I get into the top 10 podcasting highlights, and these are things that actually happened in 2013, may continue, but they happened in 2013, let me first give you 10 ongoing podcasting highlights. These are the things that show that the podcasting industry is continuing to grow, and these kinds of things have been going on for at least a couple years, if not longer than that, and will continue to go on for more years. So a short list or a quick list of 10 items here. Number one, celebrities and traditional media getting into podcasting. This is happening every single year, and it will continue to happen every single year. It started, Leo Laporte was basically a celebrity, and many people still consider him a celebrity. He got into podcasting, hit it off really big. Other people like comedians and major radio hosts and TV celebrities and movie celebrities are getting into podcasting. That's going on, has been going on, and will continue to go on for a while. So that's that's not new. That's not a highlight of 2013. That's an ongoing thing. Number two, the nobodies are finding huge success in podcasting. And think of John Lee Dumas. He started his podcast in 2013, and before he started Entrepreneur on Fire, sure, he had his Entrepreneur on Fire community, but he really found great success when he launched the podcast. And before that, most people probably had never heard of him, especially in the podcasting space. Most people would think, John Lee Dumas, who's that? I have no idea. Well, now people are talking about Entrepreneur on Fire. We had a great podcasters roundtable about this and had John on to talk about the John Lee Dumas effect. Check that out at podcastersroundtable.com slash 22. But it's not just John Lee Dumas. He's finding big success. And perhaps you, though, are also finding success, but you measure success differently. There are people like that every year finding success in podcasting because they have different goals, different ambitions. They are able to put different amounts of energy into it. And honestly, we could probably say that many of these people were at one time nobodies to the rest of the world and now there's somebody they're they're known in their industry in their niche or they're known for their success that they're finding again going on every single year it's not new with john lee dumas yeah he made a big hit in 2013 but there are others like him making big hits as well this year next year last year many 
different people finding great success. Number three, podcast hosting companies. These are coming and going. In 2013, we've seen a couple disappear. We've seen some new ones pop up. These will continue to come and go, as well as number four, podcasting service providers. I've seen more podcasting service providers pop up in 2013 than in previous years, but this has been happening for a few years now. And a podcasting service provider would be the kind of company you go to and you give them your raw recording. All you have to do is record your audio. They take it, they edit it, they publish it, they produce it, they distribute it, they promote it, all of this stuff for you. And these kinds of companies have a great need in this space. Maybe you're thinking of starting a company to be a podcasting service provider, and this could be a great opportunity for you because there are those business professionals who have a message to share. They want to share it with passion, organization, dialogue, all of that. They just don't want to mess with the technical side of things like editing the episodes, publishing them online, but they still have such a great message to share. I would say even those people are still podcasters. I remember a debate one time of is Leo Laporte still really a podcaster because he's not producing his own stuff? And yeah, he's a podcaster. He records content and distributes it as a podcast. That's a podcaster. And remember, podcasting is a distribution method, not a show style or anything like that. So I think these podcasting service providers will continue to show up. You might think that I'm a podcasting service provider, but I wouldn't really consider that because I'm not the one who will take the fish that you caught and fillet it, cook it, spice it up and all of that and serve it back to you. I'm the one that I want to teach you how to fish. Sure, I can do some of this stuff for you, like setting up your website for podcasting or help you choose the right equipment. But my main goal is I want you to be connected with the tools and resources you need. I want you to know how to fish or I want to connect you with someone who can do the fishing and the flaying and cooking and all of that for you. Or in podcasting terms, I want you to learn how to podcast And if you just aren't able to, then I'd be happy to set up what I can for you and then connect you with people, a podcasting service provider, maybe one of the people that I'm starting to work with who can help produce that stuff on a regular basis for you. Number five, mobile apps. These come and go every single year. Podcasting apps. Look at Apple. They released their official podcast app in 2012, not 2013, but it's gaining more and more popularity. And so are these other podcast apps like Stitcher and uh, the the apps like Instacast, Downcast, BeyondPod, PocketCast, all of these things. They're coming and going and they'll continue that way for a while. Like Swell is a new one out there that's working on a different algorithm. Many apps like that will continue to come and go, as well as apps that will allow you to podcast. Those are called podcasting apps, because there's a difference between a podcast app, which is what you use to subscribe to podcasts, and a podcasting app, which is what you use to podcast out there to produce or edit, record, publish, whatever, your podcast So these mobile apps will continue to come and go, especially as more and more people are getting mobile devices and mobile is really taking off. And a lot of people are focusing on using their mobile devices instead of their computers. When I go to New Media Expo, and you may be listening to this after I've already gone, but at New Media Expo, I'm trying something a little different. I'm not taking my laptop at all. I'm only taking my iPad because the mobile apps are really good. And what I think I need to do 
I should be able to do from just my iPad. Number six, simpler workflows. This is a big barrier to people getting into podcasting or just listening to podcasts. And I think that the tools, techniques will continue to get simpler and simpler. Look at just a few years ago when I did my bare minimums podcast episode. I think it was episode two or three. I talked about here's the microphone, here's the mixer, here are the cables, the mic stand that you need to get. All of this will cost you about $100 to $150. Now, it's one microphone, the ATR2100. And I, I feel great recommending that. And I can say, this one thing is all you need. I do recommend a pop filter, but you might be able to get away without it, uh, just with great mic techniques. So simpler workflows. And the publishing side of this may get simpler too, especially as some of these services are working to make it easier to get into podcasting. Number seven, increasing podcast consumption. This happens every single year. Nielsen did a report. Pew Research did a report. Podcast consumption is on the rise, and it's been on the rise ever since it started. Nothing new there. Number eight, podcasting courses. I know Cliff Ravenscraft has had one for a couple years now, and Dave Jackson started a podcasting course in 2013. I'm starting my first podcasting course in 2014, but my course will be for podcasters who already have a podcast but want to make it so much better and podcast from average to amazing. That's Podcast Masterclass. If you want to check that out, the address podcastmasterclass.com and use the promo code TAPLISTENER to save some money on your registration there. But these podcasting courses will come and go. And I know there are many, many other courses of all different prices out there. There are free courses. There are $20 courses, $50, $100, $2,000 courses, all of this out there. And they'll continue to come and go as people try to get into the space. Some people to try to monetize, some people to teach a particular method and different approach to it. Number nine, discovery algorithms. I think this is slightly the wrong direction to go in trying to make it easier to consume podcasts or better to consume podcasts. But yet, this is something that apps are working on. And the mobile app Swell for iOS was released specifically to try to promote a better discovery algorithm for if you like this podcast, you'll probably also like this. I think that kind of stuff will continue to grow. It's kind of the Pandora or iTunes radio of podcasts where it starts to learn what kind of stuff you like. Maybe it will learn by keywords, by co-hosts, by topics, by cover art, anything like that. But they'll have some kind of discovery algorithms. These continue to be refined and improved. iTunes has had one for a while that in their store, it says people who subscribe to this also subscribe to this. That's great to see, and that's one algorithm, but there will be many more to come, and there have been many in the past. And number 10, ongoing podcasting growth, growth. podcast networks. These pop up all the time, and you'll see some networks gain strength, some networks be purchased, like Revision 3 being purchased. You'll see other networks maybe close their doors, completely restructure. You'll see networks grow. You'll see networks launch. Podcasting networks have been around for quite a while, and they'll continue to be around for quite a while. And little people, big people, it doesn't really matter. They'll they'll continue, and I think each of them will find success in their own ways as they set great goals and continue with a plan. So those are the 10 ongoing podcasting growth things that I think we've seen for the last several years and will continue to see 
for years and years to come. And I'd love your comments on this, and you can get this list, all of these links that I mentioned, and comment on the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 155. Before I share with you the top 10 podcasting highlights from 2013, I want to thank the company that's helped make this episode of the Audacity to Podcast possible, Dropcam. Check them out at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash dropcam. That's D-R-O-P-C-A-M. Dropcam has this incredible product that we're looking forward to using at Consumer Electronics Show coming up. Its name describes it very well. This is a webcam that's so much more. It's so easy to set up where you connect this webcam to your Wi-Fi network and then you drop it somewhere, you connect it somewhere, mount it, whatever, and then you have a live streaming camera. Very high quality, great field of view. You can zoom in, zoom out. It is really, really fast and easy to set up. It will just take you a few minutes to set this up. You could use this for security, monitoring your podcast studio maybe while you're gone, monitoring your pets, your kids, whatever. You could use this for family events. At Christmas, think about the family members who weren't able to be there during Christmas, Thanksgiving, any kind of special event that you're celebrating with your family. The drop cam can be a way that you can set this up, connect it to the Wi-Fi, and then those family members who aren't able to be there, or maybe think about the family member in the hospital who so desperately wants to be with the rest of the family, but they can't be there. Sure, you can bring Christmas and holidays to them, but some of the stuff they just can't be there at your house for, this can be a great way that you can connect them that they can watch on their mobile device, Android, Apple device. They can watch on a computer. It's so easy to set up and such high quality. And for the security aspect of it, it records up to 30 days of continuous video. So you can review the vid- footage at any time, maybe save your favorite clips here and there, make a time-lapse video. You can review maybe what happened at a particular time, all of this stuff. It's an amazing product and very affordable too. So you've got to check this out at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash dropcam. That's theaudacitytopodcast.com slash D-R-O-P. C-A-M. I really think you'll love this and you'll find that it's super easy to use. Thank you, Dropcam, so much for sponsoring these few episodes of the Audacity to Podcast and our upcoming CES coverage. Now, the top 10 podcasting highlights from 2013 in reverse order. Number 10. You may not remember this, but it happened in 2013. Google Reader was retired. And now it's completely shut down. Google Reader no longer exists. This got a lot of people concerned and afraid for the future of FeedBurner. And I had said, now it looks like I'm actually wrong. I ended up being wrong with my little prophecy. But I had said that I thought that the retirement for FeedBurner would be announced in 2013. I ended up being wrong. There are still a few days. I could be right. But most likely I, I won't be. But FeedBurner is now the issue that's in question because Google shut down Google Reader, but they they had some good reasons. But Google Reader was an RSS reader. The thing was, most people weren't actually using the Google Reader website. They were using a lot of third-party tools to synchronize through Google Reader. So Google Reader's shutting down has now opened up that many of these other third-party tools like Feedly has created an API, which is a way that programmers can interface with these services. 
And so these separate companies have been able to step in and provide a synchronization service that in many ways trumps what Google had done. So this isn't a bad thing that Google retired Google Reader. I know some people very passionately loved Google Reader. And I started reading RSS feeds in Google Reader, but then switched to Feedly, then switched to using my iPad, synchronizing with Feedly and synchronizing though through Google Reader. Now I just synchronize everything through Feedly, no matter what app I'm using, and it still continues to work. But one of the other things that happened really late in 2012 is, and so I'm counting it as kind of a 2013 thing because we didn't really catch on that this happened until 2013, was FeedBurner started offering permanent redirects around the same time that they announced that Google Reader would be shut down. This is great because I talked about and did a whole episode about how to leave FeedBurner and there was this whole complicated 30-day redirection process. Well, they now offer that you can delete your feed but set up a permanent 301 redirect so that everyone will always be transferred over to the new RSS feed. It's a lot easier to leave FeedBurner now, which is part of the reason why I think that they may announce its retirement at some point. Now I'm I'm saying they'll, they'll probably announce its retirement in 2014 since I was wrong about 2013. But if you're on FeedBurner, that's okay. I do recommend getting off, but stay on FeedBurner if you have a third-party service like uh, Blogger or WordPress.com and you don't have your own site and own domain. So that's number 10. Google Reader retired and FeedBurner starts offering permanent redirects. Number nine, Stitcher started contributing to download stats. What happens or used to happen previously is when someone would go to Stitcher and listen to your podcast, if you've put your podcast on Stitcher, is I would have to tell everyone, yeah, if you host your media with Libsyn or you use the Blueberry stats, then it will track all of your downloads except for Stitcher. That's what we used to have to say is everything was except for Stitcher because Stitcher being a very, very popular place, and I would say it's one of the top places to make sure your podcast is in that directory, especially now that they're doing Stitcher Awards in addition to the standard podcast awards. But Stitcher then changed something a little bit so that they do still download your media. They do still re-encode it so that they can redistribute it through their streaming service. But when someone presses play on your episode inside of Stitcher, it now pings your server, which is just a little request it sends to your media host so that it registers as an additional download. And Blueberry and Libsyn are both tracking this now so you can see how many downloads you're getting from Stitcher inside of the rest of your media download stats. This is great because Stitcher is really, I think, the first company to start doing it this way that, yeah, they're still downloading and re-encoding your media, which I don't like that they do that. I'd rather they just pull the media from your RSS feed, but I can understand their reasoning. I just don't like it. But there are other companies who will download your media, like Spreaker and iHeartRadio, download your media, re-encode it, strip the ID3 tags actually from it, and then they push out their own RSS feed with your media. And whatever downloads you get through Spreaker, through iHeartRadio, do not track at all in your stats. So it's the Stitcher problem all over again. But now that Stitcher has done it, I think that this will encourage other companies to do it as podcasters can say, hey, look, your rival Stitcher is doing this. So, dear iHeartRadio, why won't you do this too? So that anytime anyone plays my episode, it shows up as a download in my 
download stats. Now that Stitcher has done that, I think others can start doing it too, and Stitcher is leading the way in that. So that's number nine. Number eight, the podcast awards were at New Media Expo and featured by iTunes. The reason I think this is big is here are two major things combining together and validating each other, the podcast awards and New Media Expo, formerly Blog World. Podcast awards have been going on for a while. At the time of this recording, we've already ended the ninth annual podcasting awards, and we're about to find out who won the podcast awards from 2013. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for voting and nominating our shows. We'll find out soon who won, or maybe you know by now who won. But the podcast awards have been going on for several years. New Media Expo and its previous iterations and different names and formats has, have been going on for a few years. And more recently, though, they've really tried to make New Media Expo a place for podcasters. And Cliff Ravenscraft is doing an amazing job with bringing more and more podcasters to New Media Expo. And so having the podcast awards at New Media Expo is continuing that trend of getting more focus on podcasting for New Media Expo, making New Media Expo the conference to go to for podcasters. If you can only travel to one distant conference, make it New Media Expo because the podcast awards, the focus on podcasting are there. It's great. But also by New Media Expo hosting the podcast awards there, it gives a lot more validity to the podcast awards. No longer, as long as this relationship continues, that is, no longer will podcast be awards just be something that Todd Cochran hosts from his studio and live streams it over the internet where he gets to say, so-and-so won, congratulations, so-and-so won, congratulations. But look at how the awards were in early 2013 with the 8th Annual Podcast Awards. Leo Laporte hosted it. He did a great job, and it was a lot of fun. The The passion in that room was so exciting, and the the session, the the party afterward was so great to connect with these podcasters and be able to hear them because there wasn't loud, deafening music. And it was a great opportunity then to see these podcasters who won the award. You could hear so-and-so won this award. People were clapping and cheering, and that person could go up, accept the award, shake Leo Laporte's hand, give a little speech, smile, cry, whatever. It was awesome. And New Media Expo then is adding extra validity to the podcast awards. And I think this is big for the podcast industry because especially with the ninth annual awards coming up and boy, imagine the 10th annual awards that will be given out in 2015, how big that will be. But I keep hearing things about how much bigger the award ceremony will be this year. And it's an awesome thing that it's turned the podcast awards into, I think, really an official awards ceremony, kind of like the Globe, Golden Globe Awards or the Emmys or anything like that. I think the podcasting awards are now up there within our own industry of podcasting. I know not everyone likes how the podcasting awards go, but anytime there's a People's Choice Award, there will always be a popularity contest. It doesn't mean the most popular wins, but yes, there's always going to be some kind of popularity contest. Even in the United States with the elections, It's still somewhat a popularity contest. Whoever gets the most votes wins. So yeah, you can debate the actual way that the podcast awards go through. I like it in some ways, don't like it in other ways, but I've chosen still to support it and I'm really excited about 
having the podcast awards at New Media Expo. And not only that, but last year there was a representative at the podcast awards from Apple representing iTunes. After the awards were given and the winners announced, iTunes featured all of the podcast award winners in the podcast section of the iTunes store. That was awesome iTunes was validating the awards. iTunes was validating those podcasters to say, hey, these are the award-winning podcasts. Check them out. That was really awesome. Big thing for podcasting. I don't think iTunes has done that in the past. I, I couldn't find any history on this online. but uh, So they may, this may not have been the first time that they've done it. But it is still big, though, to have these things connecting together like this. That's number eight. Number seven, YouTube and Google Hangouts on air for live streaming. Technically, YouTube and Google Hangouts are not podcasts at all. But what you can do is you can use these tools to record your podcast or record your show that you're going to distribute in a podcast as well as distribute on YouTube or whatever. But YouTube... Well, first let's look at Google Hangouts. Google Hangouts on Air have become a very popular way for podcasters to record their shows. Hangouts on Air is one of the major inspiration points that helped us start Podcasters Roundtable because Ray Otega saw this technology and thought, this is great. I'd love to use this. Here's this idea that I have. Let's try and work with this. I'd also talked about, Ray, about a similar idea I was having. And then Google Hangouts on Air made this so much more possible. And we're finding great success with Podcasters Roundtable to do that because Google Hangouts on Air makes it much easier and gives us something very high quality. YouTube also, though, in 2013, became a live streaming company. Because if you have a validated channel and you have to have a certain number of subscribers, your your channel has to be in good standing, you do have to go through this process. And I'll have the link in the show notes that tells you how to get in on YouTube live streaming. But that then makes them a great competition to Ustream, Livestream, Justin.tv, all of these live streaming providers. YouTube makes it easy And what's great is your video then is recorded straight into YouTube that you could promote that way. And the quality is great. The tools are pretty easy to do, pretty uh, nice in how they work with other things. Like you could use Wirecast, you can use Adobe Media Live Encoder, all of these different tools. And the live stream is also user-friendly, mobile friendly as well. So it's a great tool to use. And That these tools then have become so popular and YouTube Live launching in 2013 is big for podcasting because it gives you new ways, new tools for recording and producing your content. You can have a video podcast with automatic camera switching without investing tens of thousands of dollars into something like a TriCaster or some other kind of live streaming setup. You can do this now with Google Hangouts. You can live stream to YouTube instead of using Ustream or Livestream. Now, each of those services, yes, do present their own advantages over YouTube, and YouTube has its own advantages. But it's now a great new option for podcasters as another way of distributing your content instead of just as a podcast. And remember, podcast is a technical description of a distribution method that is downloadable media syndicated through an RSS feed via the enclosure tag. Downloadable media being audio, video, 
PDF or EPUB currently are the formats that are primarily supported. That's technically a podcast. So you could have a show that you distribute as a podcast and you distribute it on YouTube and you host it on Google Hangouts and it's a show. It becomes a podcast when you distribute it as a podcast, just like a TV show becomes a broadcast when it's broadcast over the airwaves. A radio, a audio show becomes a radio show when it's put through the radio waves and terrestrial radio, satellite radio, whatever. But I think as podcasters, we host shows. We choose to distribute them through podcasts. And now YouTube Live, Google Hangouts on Air prevent, present new tools that we can use for distributing and producing that content. I think it's big for podcasters in 2013 and on. Number six, remember that Microsoft almost killed Skype's API for recording things? This is number six. Skype almost killed some podcasts because I know many podcasters out there record with Skype for their guests or their co-hosts, and they use software tools that allow them to record both sides of the Skype conversation. Microsoft almost killed these tools. They announced that they would be closing the API that many of these programs would use to be able to just plug into Skype and record both sides of the conversation. The podcasting community was in a panic about this, and I thought about doing an episode, but I really had this feeling that maybe we should just wait to see what happens with this because maybe Microsoft will change their minds. Sure enough, they did. And they said that the API would remain in Skype until they come up with something else. The bad news is I think that something else they'll come up with will be a premium service that only the Skype premium members will be able to get because already Microsoft has cut out certain features from Skype and limited it to only the premium subscriptions. But it could be something that's worth paying for depending on the quality, how easy it is to set up, how easy it is to use with Skype. And I am eager to see what they do from that. And I don't mind them trying to come up with something new and monetizing that. But I know there will be many podcasters out there that will start to question, what will I do when this new tool or method comes out? But I think that Microsoft almost doing this is big in 2013. But the podcasting community, I think, really saved this because it means that after the outrage, Microsoft changed their minds. And that's great news. Number five, free OS upgrades and renting software. This one may seem a little bit niche, but think about how this affects the industry. Two major things happened in 2013. Adobe had this service that with the creative suite that you could subscribe to the service on a monthly basis and get access to all of the Adobe Creative Suite. Or previously, you could purchase the software on disks or download, you install it, you never have to pay for it again unless you want to upgrade it. In 2013, Adobe changed that. You can no longer just outright buy the software from Adobe. Adobe is only promoting their subscription service. You can subscribe to individual programs or a package of programs or the entire creative cloud, which I do subscribe to. I like it. I chose to subscribe to it from the moment they started offering it because I knew that it would mean I get access to all of their tools like Audition and Premiere Pro, After Effects, Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, all of these apps I use or wanted to use at that time and have started using since then because I have them. 
So when they change then this model, it means that you can no longer just outright own software. And I know the license is technically that you don't own the software, you're granted a license to use the software. But when I speak about ownership, I mean that you pay for it once and you can use it as long as you want without restrictions and you only have to pay if you want to upgrade it later on. You can't do that anymore with Adobe. You now basically rent the software from them. Sure, they have different plans where you can commit to a year and then you get a lower monthly rate or you can just pay month to month so you could rent some software for just a month, finish your project, then stop paying for the software and that could be a great way to save for you. But I think this is very big on the industry to see that here's a major software company. Adobe is not just a small company. They're a major company is switching their model from instead of selling software to now selling services. That's what people mean when they say software as a service. It's a service you continue to pay for that you subscribe to. I think we'll see more major companies start doing this with their software as well. There are pluses and minuses to this, sure. I know financially there may seem like there are a lot of minuses, unless you're the type that you love to upgrade every single year, and I'm that type with the Adobe software I like to upgrade. But I think other companies will start doing this, and we already see this with many premium WordPress plugins, like iThemes recently announced, or not iThemes, WooThemes recently announced that their plugins were switching to this subscription model that you wouldn't just outright buy something, you would subscribe to it and pay an annual fee. That's not uncommon in the WordPress space. Like even my own podcasting plugin or or the subscribe and follow plugin is a service that you subscribe to. You don't have to. You can stop paying for it and continue to use the current, the latest version that you had and you don't have to renew. But if you want to get the latest update, that's when you renew. And many other tools use this, like Gravity Forms and and uh, Backup Buddy and many programs like that. So I don't think this is terrible for the industry, but it is big that Adobe switched this. But on the flip side of this, Apple released the newest version of OS X, Mavericks, version 10.9, as a free update absolutely free there are certain technical requirements like you have to have a previous operating system that's up to this certain level and all of that stuff sure but it doesn't cost anything to upgrade if you have the previous version or the previous couple versions of os 10 that's huge especially while microsoft is charging up to a couple or few hundred dollars on their latest operating system upgrades so for apple to release a free update and then start giving away certain free updates as well to other major programs is big and also affects the software industry that can affect podcasters because this could mean that certain other companies may switch to this model where once you're a customer, you stay a customer and you don't have to pay later on. Maybe you pay a lot more up front. Maybe you subscribe for regular updates. But both of these things, I think, affect the software industry that in turn affect podcasters because podcasters use software. Number four, audio podcasts came to radio apps. Like I mentioned earlier in the ongoing stuff, 
mobile apps are coming and going every single year, sure. But what I noticed as a trend in 2013 are radio apps, apps that were designed to work with terrestrial radio stations for music or talk, are welcoming podcasts, primarily TuneIn and iHeartRadio. And TuneIn is really, I got to have a conversation with them recently, and they're really looking at new ways that they can reach out to podcasters. And they've got a survey, in fact, that they'd love for podcasters to take. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes at the audacity to podcast.com slash 155. But TuneIn and iHeartRadio were primarily radio apps. Now they're welcoming audio podcasts. And I say audio because this is important. These apps and more and more podcasting apps or podcast apps are showing up and they're focused on audio. I really think audio is the best place to be. Sure, some content works best in video. And if you have video, then you better get on YouTube as well. And I do recommend have the video available as a podcast. But I think we need to make sure that we have our own presence in the audio space because audio is so much more consumable. And look at all of these apps that are welcoming audio podcasts into them. You can't get video podcasts in iHeartRadio or TuneIn. You can only get audio. And this is big because I think it shows that these companies are recognizing the power of podcasting and how many podcasts there are. And also these companies are potentially turning their app into the one-stop place for audio entertainment, whether that be music or talk from celebrities or talk from Average Joe, who has a podcast from his basement and produces it really well. Because remember, iHeartRadio is owned by Clear Channel. That's the company that owns, I don't know the actual percentage, but it's a large, large number of radio stations across the United States, talk and entertainment radio stations across the United States, terrestrial radio. And so for them, for Clear Channel to welcome podcasts into their radio app, I think is huge. That's something from 2013. Number three, podcasting gained more attention again. Did you see the USA Today article? We did a podcaster's roundtable about this, and I'll have that link in the show notes if you want to see what we thought about this. But USA Today had this article that they said, remember podcasting? It's back. Well, our our basic response to that as podcasters is, uh, hey, hello, podcasting never went anywhere. But also there are other articles like Jeff Bullis wrote an article or Bullis wrote an article about is podcasting the hot new media trend? And he did a case study based on Pat Flynn. And look at Michael Stelzner and Chris Brogan have both gotten into podcasting. Chris Brogan actually was one of the pioneers in podcasting. He started PodCamps. Chris Brogan, Christopher Penn, and Whitney Hoffman started PodCamps. These unconferences designed for originally for podcasters. They've since turned into more social media stuff. And I've hosted one myself, PodCamp Cincinnati. But Chris Brogan is getting back into podcasting. And in late 2012, I know it's not 2013, but it's almost 2013. In late 2012, he talked about getting back into podcasting. Michael Stelzner said at Social Media Marketing World how he thought podcasting is the next big thing to be in for social media and for marketing. And podcasting is gaining a lot more attention again. I think the reason is that when podcasting first started, the general media looked out there and saw a lot of people jumping on board because they realized these average people could produce an audio show or a video show on the internet and distribute it worldwide. 
And initially people were saying, oh, it's just amateur hour. Steve Jobs even called it that amateur hour. Well, now I think the media companies are realizing, wait a minute, these so-called, quote, amateurs, unquote, are producing stuff rivaling our own content. Just there have been many examples of this, of the little basement podcaster beating NPR or beating the major news companies out there with their podcast. And I think the media is recognizing that, wow, there's some major talent out there from these guys who have spent 50 or or $100 recording their closet, sometimes literally in their closet, and are producing dynamite content. They're an authority in their field. You could be one of these people that you have spent very little money. You spend very little effort making a perfect production, but you have a great influence among your community. That's why I called this show the audacity to podcast because it takes some audacity to do this and to get into podcasting and stand up to the big media like that. And I think the big media is recognizing this and that's why they're starting to get more into podcasting again. And they've started realizing, oh, hey, this is a big thing. Even Rhett and Link, who have been on YouTube, they're YouTube celebrities, really. They've made a bunch of videos. You can check them out on YouTube. They've recently launched an audio podcast, and their comments about this were really interesting, that they said some stuff like, doesn't podcasting seem so 2005? And But what they may not be remembering is they are already podcasters because their daily podcasts they produce, the uh, Good Mythical Morning Show they produce and release as a podcast. So they're already podcasters. They're also YouTubers. They're making a show and they distribute the show in different ways. And I am trying to get to talk with Rhett and Link about their decisions to get into audio podcasting, but they are. They're hosting on SoundCloud and iTunes and they have an audio podcast. Celebrities have been getting in and stuff. So podcasting gained a lot more attention again in 2013. And I think we'll be able to look back at 2013. Maybe you're looking back at 2013 right now, if you're listening to this from the future. Maybe you can see that 2013 was really this turning point for podcasting, where it started being taken a lot more seriously as a broadcast distribution method. And that happened in 2013 then. Number two, Apple announced one billion podcast subscriptions. That's billion followed by one followed by nine zeros, by the way, one billion podcast subscriptions in 2013. This was huge because Apple does not share numbers unless it's something that they're proud of. And I did a whole episode about what this means for the podcasting industry. This was really big. And you can check out that episode in the show notes for Apple to then say this. And then continue promoting podcasting and the way that Apple is working with podcasters. Like it's now very common to receive a reply when you have a problem and email podcasts at apple.com. And I've had opportunities to talk with Apple too and hear what they are, the resources that they're putting into helping podcasters out there and how they are working with the podcast section of the iTunes store and the podcast app that they've updated and it looks great and works really well and all of this stuff. I think Apple is really helping podcasting a lot more because maybe they see that, hey, we helped this really get popular 
And while we just hit this major milestone, this is serious. This can bring a lot of people to our platform. And certainly it can. So when Apple announced that, I think that's a major milestone. One billion podcast subscriptions tracked in iTunes. Imagine how many more episodes that is that have been downloaded. That's a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of podcast listeners. And that number will just continue to go up in the number of podcast subscriptions through all kinds of apps, not just iTunes and the official podcast app from Apple. That's number two. Before I go to number one, let's have the 12 days of Christmas. Sing along with me. No. Number 10, Google Reader retired. FeedBurner offers permanent redirects. Number nine, Stitcher started contributing to download stats. Number eight, podcast awards at New Media Expo and featured by iTunes. Number seven, YouTube and Google Hangouts on Air live streaming. Number six, Skype almost killed some podcasts. Number five, free OS upgrades and renting software. Number four, audio podcasts came to radio apps. Number three, podcasting gained more attention again. Number two, Apple announced 1 billion podcast subscriptions. And number one happened almost exactly a year ago from when I'm recording this. The podcasting patent claim by personal audio. There have been other claims over podcasting patents and such in the past, but they really fizzled out. This one, on the other hand, from personal audio is much bigger because personal audio has filed lawsuits against top podcasters who are making a lot of money with their podcast, and they have sent out cease and desist letters to other people and tried to negotiate things. If you receive any kind of letter from personal audio, reach out to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, that's at EFF.org, and you can find out what kind of support they can provide and what you need to do, what your next steps would be. But basically, don't respond to the letter. You need to find out what your actual rights are and what you can and can't do, or should and shouldn't do. But this podcasting patent claim is huge for the podcasting industry. I don't think this is going to badly affect the podcasting industry, I really think we are going to come out on top. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has some great evidence now to support the claim of prior art that podcasting, by technical definition as personal audio is claiming, has actually existed before personal audio filed for their patent. And there are a lot of technical legal things to this, and I highly recommend check out thepatentpodcast.com for more information about patents and understanding the patent uh, for podcasting here. But this is big because it's gotten a lot of podcasters scared. It's something that podcasters have been talking about, media organizations have been talking about, and it's something that could potentially affect all of us, but I don't think it will affect all of us in a bad way. It is, though, I think the number one thing that happened in 2013 in the podcasting industry, the podcasting patent claim, but I think we'll be okay with it. So don't get all worried yet and don't start trying to figure out how much you can afford to pay for each episode of your podcast. I think we'll be okay with it and time will tell and this will continue for probably a couple more years before they actually have a resolution to this. But it did start in 2013 and started in a very big way. 
So that's the top podcasting highlights from 2013. I'd love your thoughts on these things. And I'd love to hear from you what other things you saw happen in the podcast industry that were big in 2013 or where you think we're going in the coming years of podcasting. Please comment on the show notes at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 155. You can also get the links and this list of everything that I mentioned over there in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 155. I'd love to hear from you for my next episode, which I'll record from New Media Expo, and it probably won't be live streamed, but I'll be recording there about what is one thing your podcast helped you accomplish or your podcast accomplished in 2013, and what's one goal you have with your podcast for 2014. Maybe it's a big goal, like I want my podcast to help me get a new job. Maybe it's I want to hit episode 100 in 2014, or I want to upgrade my microphone in 2014. I want to get into video. I want to upgrade my lighting. I want to do whatever, launch a new website, launch a new podcast, close a certain podcast, offer a new service, anything like that. What about 2013? What did you accomplish with your podcast? Did you get a sponsor? Did you hit a milestone? Did you meet someone you've wanted to meet for a while? Did your podcast help you get a job? I really I'm looking forward to hearing the stories from you. I've received some feedback already, and it's some really cool stuff. I'll be recording this live at New Media Expo on Sunday at New Media Expo, and I don't think it'll be live streamed, but will be available for download later. So email me your feedback, your success, and your goal for the upcoming year. Send that to feedback at theaudacitytopodcast.com or send a voicemail through the website at theaudacitypodcast.com on your computer or iOS device. And you can also call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221. And I'd love to have your feedback for the next episode, episode 156 of The Audacity to Podcast. I'm really looking forward to what 2014 has in store for podcasting, has in store for you and the success that I hope you'll find in podcasting. And I'm eager about what I'll be doing in podcasting in 2014. One of those is the Podcast Masterclass over at podcastmasterclass.com. I'd love for you to sign up for this. It's going to be a school of hard knocks on your podcast. Trust me, there will be some brutal honesty, but I think you'll love it. Already, I've got some great feedback on expectations for the class. I'm looking forward to it. That's at podcastmasterclass.com and use the promo code TAPLISTENER. Next time you hear from me, I'll be at New Media Expo and really loving it and sharing great content from there. So follow me on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast.com. Have a happy new year and thanks for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And find so much awesome stuff about all kinds of technology, medical technology, gadgetry, working technology, business, play, all of this and more at techpodcast.com and don't miss our CES coverage 
at tpn.tv where we will be posting many, many videos of content and live stream content from CES over at tpn.tv.